0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nudie Brains podcast. My name is Emily and I'm the host. I got to sit down and interview Lindsay who is at the plant pathologist on Instagram Um, and she does not study invertebrates. She actually studies a fungus that infects strawberry plants and her research is super fascinating but she's also just a wonderful human being and a really cool person to follow on Instagram um, because she's always talking about really funny things and has really great captions and I learn a lot from her so I definitely recommend following her if you aren't already. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. Um, And you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at Emily, the marine biologist. So thank you so much for being on my podcast today, Lindsay. Thank
1: you for inviting me. I'm excited.
0: Of course, no problem. So let's start off by getting to know you a little bit. What is your favorite invertebrate?
1: Oh, um, hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a nematode, Um, just because I recently took nematology, and it was really cool to look at them under the microscope, and um, especially seeing the ones that, like, get trapped in different fungi and stuff, that, yeah, they're just funny little guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty cool, and they move really weird, too, so I can't even imagine taking a full class on them. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was fun why did you start studying science in the first place?
1: I feel like I've just always been really curious and I'll, I've just always been really interested in science. Um, when I was like eight years old, I really wanted to be a botanist. I don't even know how I figured out what a botanist was, but I just thought plants were super cool. And I kind of changed my mind, you know, a ton of times throughout middle school and high school. And I just always came back to plants and science.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I know some kids, like, I feel like every every kid goes through a phase where they're like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And a few of us who actually have become <laughs> marine biologists like me, but we just never grew out of that. So I think that's really cool that it's something you've been passionate about for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so Speaking of plants, do you want to tell me a little bit about your research? I know it has to do with strawberry plants, which is yes. super cool. <laughs> That's like such an important crop in California. But tell us a little bit more about like what do you research about them, how you got to that project, things like that.
1: Yeah. So I study this fungal disease called Macrofemina charcoal rot that is caused by the fungus Macrofemina phaseolina, And uh, it basically just kills the strawberry plant. Um, it's kind of a new disease in California and so there's a lot that we don't know about it and there really aren't any control measures right now for it. So uh, the fungus lives in the soil and it's basically just there in the strawberry fields and the plants will get infected and towards the end of the season they'll just die. And so there's like you can fumigate the soil to kill the fungus but then it kills everything that's in the soil, so it's not really good. Um, But once the plants are infected, there's nothing you can do about it, they just die. So I am looking at the infection cycle of the fungus, and hopefully looking at that, we can come up with some good management strategies. And I'm also looking at how drought affects this disease. And if there's anything we can do with you know different irrigation strategies to try to mitigate this disease.
0: Yeah that's really interesting and really sad too especially because you said it it kills the plant kind of at the end right at the end of the season when maybe the farmers want to start to harvest them. Does that have a huge economic impact on on that system?
1: I don't have any numbers regarding the economic impact of the disease or you know the percent yield loss it causes but since it does kind of come in towards the end of the season when a lot of growers are finishing things up and getting their last harvest out it is a really big problem uh yeah
0: what do plants look like that have the disease
1: so the first symptoms that you'll see is the lower leaves in the plant will start to become brown and the entire plant might start wilting. And uh, eventually the entire plant just collapses and all the leaves die, all the fruit die. Um, So it's really, it's really devastating and it happens really quickly. Like the first symptoms that you see um, will be browning of some of the leaves. And then like a week or two later, the whole plant is dead. So it happens really fast. Um, and it's, yeah, it is really sad to see.
0: Does that mean then that your experiments you have to do for your, um, project are pretty fast because the plants die so rapidly?
1: Um, so my field experiment that I have is, basically lasts the entire season so I will probably be planting next week and then the experiment will go through June so it's pretty long um but I'm basically just like using different irrigation treatments to see if irrigating the plants more will uh keep them from getting the disease. And if we stress the plants and don't irrigate them, you know, are those plants going to become more diseased? Will the disease be more severe? Are they more likely to get the disease? So it's really, it's actually kind of a long process because you don't start seeing the symptoms till so much later, but we're trying to see if, you know, irrigating differently early on in the season affects that at all. So um, even though the the plants die super fast the experiment itself is not very fast
0: <laughs> okay gotcha that makes sense that makes sense yeah that's I mean that's really interesting and I know it takes a while for strawberry plants to grow so
1: well I like, that you're really yeah.
0: successful with that because that sounds really interesting
1: thank you yeah um last year as you probably know there was so much rain yes. so um actually stressing the plants was kind of difficult because it just kept raining so uh we saw some interesting things last season with all that rain
0: yeah one more question I just thought of um when I, I believe I was a botany TA for one semester so definitely not <laughs> but I know like a little some of the terminology and stuff um does this fungus infect like the xylem which transports water or the phloem which is more like the sugar transport or or is it just everything within the plant
1: that's a really good question um i know that in some other cropping systems that are much more well studied than strawberries Um, they've seen that the fungus is in the xylem and it forms these structures that end up just blocking the xylem. So that's why the plant will start wilting. So I'm guessing that's what happens in strawberries, but no one has actually looked at that yet. So that's what I'm hoping to do.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And what's your timeline? I know you probably hate this question, so I'm sorry, but what's your timeline (laughs) to finish up? How How long have you been in your program and how long do you think you'll be there for?
1: So I just started my third year, and I think I'll probably have this year and two more years, okay. maybe a little bit longer. We'll see. But you know, since I have to repeat this experiment multiple times and it lasts basically an entire academic year, um, then yeah, it'll it'll be a little while. But it's already going so fast. So
0: yeah, definitely. I know, and that's something I try to stress to like not science people is that our masters and our phd's are not like a s- straightforward 2 years 4 years because you have this field experiment or you have so much that you're you're battling with like a masters degree can be 6 years and a phd can be 8 years like it's not it's yeah. a set in stone thing so good luck with the yeah. rest of that <laughs> thank you <laughs> And I know that you're involved with kind of like the policy side as well with Will, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Do you want to talk a little bit about that project and, and um, how you're doing that outside of your research as well?
1: Yeah. So I got involved with the science to policy program at UCR um, almost exactly a year ago, actually. And um, it's a fairly new program at UCR. And uh, we've really grown a lot in the last year. And basically we just aim to educate graduate students, uh, mainly in STEM, but we're not gonna turn anyone away, Um, just how to communicate to policymakers, how to take their science out of the lab and into the legislature. Um, So we help give them different communication skills and we do this really fun workshop where we have them distill their dissertation into a couple sentences, which oh, is super true. hard. <laughs> and then we also create a little slogan from our research. So this is just a really good skill to have, especially if you run into a legislator in an elevator and you have two minutes to talk to them about what you do. Um, so yeah, this the program is really great and I I feel so lucky to be a part of it. It's definitely helped with my communication skills and it's boosted my confidence with talking to anyone about the science that I do. So it's a really awesome program.
0: That's awesome. So do you think that your involvement in more scientific policy, like is that kind of the route that you want to go down after you're done with your PhD or do you want to go kind of the teaching route?
1: (laughs) It's definitely... um, just opened some more doors for me and really opened my eyes to how many different opportunities there are out there for PhD graduates. Um, I, I knew coming into my PhD that I didn't really want to stay in academia. Um, I don't know exactly what I want to do yet, but um, I have plenty of time and um, it's, you know, I might apply for different policy fellowships afterwards, but I mean, we'll just see what happens. I think this has just kind of opened a lot of different doors for me.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, let's unless there's anything else that you want to talk about, like research related or anything like that. Do you want to move into talking about climate change a little bit?
1: Oh, sure. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> perfect. So, what do you think? Like, you're you're in front of you know, policymakers, you need one thing that is the most important thing about our planet or climate to communicate to them. What do you think that one thing is? Like the most important?
1: Okay. If I was in a, in front of a group of policymakers, I would just try to make it really clear that there are so many different things that we can do at the individual level and at, on a larger scale, um, But I would really try to encourage them to uh, regulate really big companies differently. So, you know, changing how things are packaged, um, you know, trying to eliminate so much plastic packaging, I think, is something that needs to be regulated more strictly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good answer. And what about for young people? I know, you know, this conversation has come up more and more recently because of all the climate strikes and things like that. Um, do you think that like, what's one thing that young people could maybe do like a career choice or, you know, a conversation to have with their families? Is there something that young people can do to help the planet too?
1: I think, um, just being more aware of what you're eating and where it's coming from, um, I'm not going to say like, oh, you have to be vegan, but like you can decrease your meat consumption. You can change what kind of produce you're buying and just be aware of where it's coming from, Um, trying to shop more locally so that, you know, the food you're getting isn't being distributed across the globe. You're actually getting it from somewhere in your county. And I know that not everyone has access to that. But just kind of being aware of it and doing what you can, you know, what's feasible for you, because the littlest things can have a big impact.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this is not related, but going back to the produce comment, I've actually always wondered, like, is buying organic produce more environmentally friendly than non-organic? Do you know or is that like total BS?
1: I have read so many conflicting arguments yeah. about it and I I haven't developed my own opinion on it because I'm still really confused myself. <laughs> um, oh my God, you, please, because I need help. <laughs> yeah, I, I read this whole book about food and climate change and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to eat organic. And then I read other things and I was like, oh my gosh, organic is just as bad as conventional. So I just <sighs> I can't make up my mind and I don't know if anyone else can either.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it's tricky. Well, well, we'll have you back on then in the future and you can update us <laughs> on how that's going. <laughs> what about for adults? Like you were talking about um, how really it comes down to a lot of these companies need to make changes in order to help save the planet in general. But like for people like us or people like our parents, what can they do to help the planet?
1: I think changing the way that we buy things, um, just being aware of, you know, the packaging that things are coming in and, like, the yeah. littlest things. Like, I recently started using biodegradable floss <laughs> instead uh-huh. of normal floss. And it's, like, such a little thing, but it's it has an impact. Um, and then... I always think about travel as being something like, you know, obviously you do have to fly to get some places, but just being conscious of how often you're doing that and, you know, changing your plans to not fly as often or to take alternative transportation. I think that's important.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, we're in such a polarized world right now when it comes to climate change. Like, unfortunately, there are, you know, there's people on both sides of the spectrum. But if you were to come across a climate change denier in the street, what would you say to them?
1: I would really want to try to understand what it is that they don't believe about it. Um, Because I, that's what I have a hard time seeing. I have a hard time seeing their point of view and they have a hard time seeing mine. So I think just trying to understand where they're coming from would be the first step. And I honestly don't really know what I would say to them once I did know know where they were coming from, but it would depend on, you know, what they think.
0: Yeah, and once you have that footing with them of being like, okay, I understand where you're coming from now, maybe we can have a discussion, like, that That really does sound like a good place to start, so I think that's Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely, you know, not, don't attack them with my words, and don't, you know, don't become confrontational, but just trying to keep it, like, super casual, it doesn't have to be a big deal, Um, obviously, it's a really hot topic, and it could easily become a heated debate, but... Just trying to stay calm about it, I think, is really important.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point because I feel like that's something that our generation is going to be pretty good at is is maintaining a fairly neutral tone about things and discussing things logically. I feel like the political climate these days is so polarized that nothing's getting done because people are just screaming at each other rather than conversation. So. Hopefully that's something that our generation can change for sure. Yeah. And I like to wrap up with like an obscure fact. Do you have an obscure fact about strawberries or about fungus in general that you would like to share? Because I'm sure you probably have some weird stuff. You've come across some weird stuff.
1: <laughs> hmm. Okay. Let me think. I mean, maybe it's not an ob- obscure fact, but I think it's kind of interesting. It's just something people don't really know. There are hundreds of different varieties of strawberries so like when you go to the store and you see a Granny Smith apple it's very different looking than a Honeycrisp apple and they taste different um they look different everything but with strawberries you can't just tell by you know trying them they all look basically the same they taste basically the same um but there actually are so many different varieties that are grown and so you never know what you're getting in the box. But
0: huh. yeah, that's super interesting. <laughs> that is, I really like that. That's super <laughs> cool. And if people want to find you on Instagram, because I love seeing your posts and your stories, it always looks like you're having such an adventure, especially now that you're the only person in your office and you have all these desks. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: where can they find you? On Instagram, I am the plant pathologist the name was available. So I took it. (laughs) Um, I'm not very active on Twitter. So I would encourage you to follow me on Instagram instead.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Thank you so much. This was awesome.